Welcome to the Teacher Squad podcast, episode four. What have we got this week, Jay? Well, I can't quite believe it's episode four. I'll tell you what we've got. We have got trainers for teachers. Chuck out those heels, forget anything else, get your trainers on. That's what I'm talking about. I'm going to talk about words and talking. (laughs) Who have we got on? Well, we've got Mr. T does history. He's gonna he's gonna does it. I tell you what, he he taught me a thing or two, um, really important things actually about the curriculum and how we should knock it into shape and shape it up. Yeah, yeah it's going to be really good that. And then um, I'm I'm going to end things with some some very serious reading about sanitary towels. Well, thank you for amplifying the female voice in teaching. There's not enough of us in primary. All these blokes telling us what to do. I'm not having it. It's a good job we're here speaking for women. Hey, Heather. Oh, I love working with you. Shall we get on with it? Come on, babe. Let's get on with it. Crikey Jane, episode four already. I know. I've had four kids. I mean, I don't know what's harder. A podcast, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I should have some more. I've only got one. Oh, yeah. Get on with it. (laughs) No, too old for that. Too old. How's your week been, Jane? Well... You know, I've I've made a promise since under your lovely little gratitude attitude life of like spreading the love, not to moan all the time about driving, but my life this week has been a hell of a lot of driving. But you know, I'm okay. How are you? <laughs> well, I've done quite a bit of driving as well. You oh. realise that Cornwall is, a, I mean, I am way down way down at the bottom you know nearly at land's end so driving anywhere is like a long way tragic gives you a bit of brain space though doesn't it thinking time yeah that is good the old brain space so uh heather um what have you been grateful for this week well one of the places that i've driven to four and a half hours to get there early start on a Saturday morning but we're still grateful still grateful uh me and the mini reading rocker they're my number one child uh we went to Bath Children's Literature Festival oh it was so good so good really grateful just to be around that buzz of kind of kids inspired by authors and illustrators reading um, managed to give out some of our reading rocks badges to some authors so nice to be spotting them going all across the nation getting uh, people blethering uh, as Professor Teresa Kremen would say about books uh, yeah. so that was that was really good bumped into uh, our children's laureate managed to say hello to Joseph Coyloat oh, and did you say you gave him a big up on the podcast I hope you did I did it didn't Good. look like he'd listened yet but you never know <laughs> what how very dare <laughs> maybe he will now I did say read one of your poems I said I'm on a quest to make Jane happy <laughs> and he did really give me a strange look <laughs> <laughs> who is this Jane you speak of I actually was really um this is not what I'm going to talk about but I was actually really grateful when you said that I was your podcast wife I just feel really touched by that um you know you've given me a mug a present you've given me a, a big up kind of you've practically taken me into kind of metaphorical bed with you I mean babe <laughs> <laughs> what's the next step podcast children <laughs> Or, or does that mean we're done? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I might break up. I don't know. Think about it. <laughs> I don't want to break else? up with you, Jane. Don't go there. No, we're still in the honeymoon period. <laughs> still looking at you with big rosy eyes going, oh, Jane, you're so amazing. I'm looking at you like that saying you are just so much uh better at reading aloud and and words and logic and are just sorting me out or just sorting me brain Not out me negative true. brain space. although jane 
What? Last week, I read uh, a bit from Fleur Hitchcock's book, saw her at Bath Festival, and Ooh. she said, you did some great reading aloud. So Tell there you what, we go. are you flirting with other people when I'm not around? Because I'm not going to write that. <laughs> well, you're not, you're not a bunny boiler, are you? <laughs> I think we better move on. What are you grateful for, Jane? Well, um, I've got to say my attitude for gratitude is seriously improving. And um, what I'm grateful for, this is completely different and very uncultured, not as cultured as what you're grateful for. Um, I just want to say it's not my fault for how society views my physical appearance, but I do have a responsibility to defy it consciously and so I have consciously and people know I'm on the cusp of this anyway but I have consciously chosen to wear trainers regularly this week because because the most important part of my job is to elicit hard thinking whether that is from children or adults you know right at the heart of it hard thinking and I need soft trainers and you know what? When I'm in Sheffield tomorrow working with a school, I'm going to be wearing trainers. I Now, I'm not going to tell them. I'm just going to, because, because if I've got sore feet, then where can my brain be if I'm thinking about my little tootsies or toes? You know, I don't want to be a grumpy teacher. I will be professionally dressed, but I need comfy footwear, you know, and teachers add jobs are on our feet up and down sometimes we need to be at four year old eye level and um i'm sorry you know if you're on playground duty you go to a meeting you're running here class four class five trainers for teachers yes i'm in a suit but i will be wearing my comfies was was that gratitude or a rant jane (laughs) see i always muck this up don't i now what i well it's just when i see my trainers waiting there you know you said i've told you before i'm a saddo and i lay my clothes out i've just laid them out and i've just looked at them and gave them a little air kiss because i'm so pleased Uh, i'm wearing them so two Uh, questions jane what are you delivering in sheffield tomorrow and the second question which is possibly most important i mean what kind of trainers are you wearing Ah, well Okay, uh, I'm delivering uh, the right stuff training in Sheffield. We're going to get under the skin of, you know, what makes us the best teachers of writing really nitty gritty lesson study stuff. And I don't even know what my brand of trainers are. Now, that's not being, this is going to sound really bad, like I'm a kept woman. I have thought about a professionalism about trainers and uh they're not nike or adidas and i don't even know what they're called are they called they begin with a, a v and they just look like a smarter trainer it's i just can't remember what they're called i'm looking desperately at mr c who's our um podcast ta- technician mr c what the hell are they called i'm sure he goes by producer don't oh, don't fail him Di- director <laughs> Director, producer, trainer purchaser. (laughs) This could turn into a poem. (laughs) What are those those poems called? (laughs) They're kind of like a professional looking trainer. Do you know what I mean? I can't remember. That's it. I feel like like we need to put a link in the podcast. Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) I am all for the flat shoe, Jane. I have two two flat apparently. Feature. Two flat shoes of choice, yes. and um, after going to see the Barbie film, uh, my first choice, my summer choice is um, I don't know what the right word is, but it's definitely the right choice. Is Barbie <laughs> wears them at the end when she's Barbara and grown That's up? That's so human. good that film, and those shoes are so cool. Bergen, big Bergen, Birkenstocks, Birkenstocks, yeah. Oh, you say it better than me, Birkenstocks. Stocks. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> and then when it comes to the winter we're not there yet i'm still still in the sandals then i'm in my blundstone boots oh you comfortable practical i am a woman in my 40s there we go (laughs) (laughs) yeah you gotta think of these things yeah it's uh it's good to have comfy shoes on though isn't it it just makes such difference 
Definitely. Absolutely. And even at five foot one, I don't need those extra inches. I am cool being um, small and comfortable. Oh, that's adorable. That's so cute. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, have you spotted any? I said on your travels. Yeah. Have you spotted any sentences on toilet doors yet? Oh, do you know what? I went for a little wee. Uh, in a school in London and I didn't have my phone with me uh, and I was gutted because it was actually really wonderful what was uh, on that toilet door it said how is your how are you feeling please come and tell the well-being team of the school this is our names come and find us you know we just think Oh, I kind of like that. That is really I've... nice, but it's always funny once you put it into a toilet, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm are feeling you, are you all I'm right feeling, in there. I'm feeling relieved. <laughs> I'll go and have a chat with Greg. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, I really like them though on the back of toilet. I think they're a great place because you've got you've got the audience, haven't you? But I yeah. don't know. I, I I did just say I was a woman in my forties, but I'm feeling slightly immature now. <laughs> Yeah, but I think that's we should have a podcast link there, you know, like talking tins that you have in reception, you know, uh, that you should have our podcast on it, you know, in a talking tin when you go for a way, <laughs> press the button while you're waiting. Lovely. Um, other things on your mind, Heather, what, what have you been thinking about a lot this week and can you sum it up in a sentence? Well, I'm going to hold my hands up. Um, I can sum it up in a sentence, um, and it should be on the back of uh, every toilet door in primary school classrooms across the country and the world, uh, but, but I've stolen my sentence. Is that um, all right? Yeah, of course. Plagiarism but, or us. <laughs> I'm being open and honest about it. It's not my sentence, but it's a great sentence so um on one of my longer drives uh, last week drove up to saltash to um a kerno english hub conference um which was great thanks for the invite always happy to go um and it was all about get cornwall talking so it was all about oracy and the first speaker of the day was mark Rowland. And this this was the title of his talk, and I thought it was absolutely perfect sentence. So this is it. The language gap is the attainment gap. It's good, mm, isn't it? Good sentence. Really good. And it just really struck me. And after, as well, last week, when you read um, from the final um Mac- good fellows words and the kind of poignancy of of the kids that we've got with those experiences just re-highlighted to me that the importance of oracy of words the scouse in me wants to say of words <laughs> then that maybe doesn't matter really does it it's not about who you are or where you're from. If you've got those words, if we give our children those words, the language to manipulate, to articulate, we give them the right register and the right tone and knowing what the situation is, they can be anything. They can move things and change things and and just be the next generation that we want them to be, no matter where they are in, in the pecking order. So, it yeah, kind of just got me thinking again, which was good, about what do we do about oracy in school? Kind of where is it in in our thought process, in the pecking order? Is it something we just stick on? Is it something we weave through? Um, how, how good are we at, you know, building in those oracy moments into, into our classroom? Um, and shared on the day. So Voice 21 have done a little, um, well, I don't mean to diminish it, it's not little, a, a, a research project establishing and evaluating an oracy-centred approach to vocabulary development. So uh, 
holding it up for those who are watching on the screen. Um, so yeah, it's called voicing, it's called voicing vocabulary, and um, we'll put the link in in the show note. But it just it talks about five active ingredients for that approach and the impact uh, that they found. So it's really useful reading. It's it's a, it's a small uh, summary document, so it's really manageable for people to have a, have a look at and and just consider. Uh, their approach um I, th- I think we should invite mark to come and talk to us because what he knows about pupil premium and and the heart that he has um yeah i would really like for you to have a have a chat with him jane it was really good. at the end of the um the conference there were there were two two speakers let me see if i've written them down yes so andrew willis and george lumley came over from jersey mm. uh, they've been doing an oracy project over there and right at the end of their talk they shared this video they'd done this project which they'd taken the the idea from a voice 21 project in in birmingham and it was called speak up speak out so all the schools did their own competitions and then there was like this kind of ultimate end competition where the the pupils uh, were giving giving a speech on something that was really important to them. And you know when you watch a video of kids and just, oh, your body's just, you get that tingle because it's just like, and there were people, you know, with genuine tears because it was just so inspiring and hearing, you know, children from different backgrounds and and they had not only the words, but they had a voice that you could hear them saying what they wanted to talk about and having all the skills and the tools to um, to be able to do it. So, yeah, yeah. great. We, um, I'm glad you've mentioned Oracy. In the Impact magazine um, uh, that's part of the Chartered Co- College of Teaching, they've got a big focus on Oracy this month. So if, you're, okay. if there's teachers out there who are not a member, that really is worth being a member of the Chartered College for Teaching. And um, it makes what you're talking about there, Heather, well, a couple of things spring to mind. Uh, kids getting passionate about things. I'll never, uh, I'll never forget this one um, child who I, I, I met um, last term who was particularly – we had to put things in Room 101. Here's the context. Like, what did you want to chuck in Room 101? And he wanted to put uh, Krispy Kreme donuts. I'm like, shut up. No. What? They're lovely. Why? What? And he was really, but the Room 101 rules were they had to put things in Room 101 that they thought were a rip-off. Okay. And he, and he was like, you can get 10 donuts for a pound from Asda. So, like, <laughs> that is a rip-off, you know. Sometimes they're £2.49 for one donut in WH Smith's in a service station. And exact words, I ain't paying that, miss. I, I'm paying that miss and uh, he was like livid about the price which you know they are a rip-off and then um, his uh, his talk got so animated by the time it turned into writing the end of this blog read because his argument was well, some of them have faces on these donuts and some are just like glazed bagels and, he's, and it ended with you're just a glazed bagel do one you know? <laughs> <laughs> he's just like it was I like brilliant. It. Did he yeah. win? Did it get yeah. to go in? Yeah, absolutely. A clunk. Wasn't that like a lever? Does that go in the <laughs> conveyor belt? Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, great. Put in talk, you know, chatter matters. Put it right at the heart. Um, yes. And I'm a little bit jealous you were there, Heather, talking about talking. But yeah, oh, well. that's fab next time come down to uh, do you know what though there was people I, I told told the whole room about our podcast you've got to take the opportunity haven't you yeah, and then a girl. few people came up to me and were like oh, do you know Jane <laughs> <laughs> that's what people say to me are you Heather's wife I said yes <laughs> I am see, mine, mine was a genuine story Jane <laughs> that genuinely uh, happened you had like an uber fan you're just trying to make me feel nice <laughs> oh shut up I like this relationship say- isn't going to go very far if you don't love yourself more heather I'll just <laughs> what's your sentence then jay what you've been pondering uh, and uh, pontificating God. on 
I've got so much on my mind. I always find this really hard. Um, I've got so many tabs open. And this isn't very punchy, this sentence, so wait for it. Um, pupils who receive direct instruction demonstrate significantly higher attainment than pupils taught by other approaches. So the upshot there is if we teach children, <laughs> oh no, if we teach kids stuff, <laughs> if we actually teach them, it makes a big difference. And I think there's a lot of, you know, talk out there. And I'm not particularly talking about younger kids, you know, like pupil-centred instruction, you know, children-centred. And yes, we do have to put children at the heart of this teaching and learning exchange. But I just, I think the research is becoming overwhelming. Uh, Stockard et al. has analyzed a big meta-analysis i mean this is no 431 bits of analysis uh, to show us that there is overwhelming evidence that direct instruction has a positive effect and this is with really young kids you know reception and year one children um, and we're able to show that you know whether it's reading or maths or spelling you know we can have a really big impact if we give explicit step-by-step guidance and lots of worked examples to mimic and so for young kids they said um, you know ultimately we want them to be good at equations and equivalent fractions but the little ones you know if you say we want the same amount of items on this side either side of an equal sign you know and the same a number of items on this side um you know, three counters, let's say, on this side and three counters on this side, um, rather than, you know, let's kind of catch them being interested in counting. Um, No, actually, I'm going to intervene and make you really good at understanding uh, equals two. Um, This, you know, know, it it starts off, they might understand snap or the same. So you've got to go, right, they understand... It's a bit like thesaurus thinking with language. They understand snap. They understand the same. Then introduce the word equals. It's all in that synonym thinking space. Um, but I don't know. Sometimes it just gets on my nerves a bit when people go, oh, look at Finland. And I'm like, all right. But, you know, it's got a very <laughs> shallow author. What's that word? Author. Oh. I don't know phonetically regular you like actually children in finland are going to be able to learn language really quickly and easily and sometimes it can look like uh, they're ahead of children in england but you know it's hard it's very deep and very difficult to learn english and um and there's less consistencies so it takes longer for learning but um we we give kids a real advantage if we teach them, basically. It's a bit obvious now I've said it out loud. <laughs> it's all right, squad. You're still in a job. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about Finland, though, do you think sometimes people just know the tiniest tip of information and go, oh, uh, look at Finland or look at China with maths or look at yeah. – and, and actually don't really know the depth of – what they actually do or the depth of any research I think sometimes we're so busy as teachers and there's lots of research all over the shop we can kind of um just seek out the snippets that support what we want it to think instead of you know letting it actually inform our practice or making sure we find we find out Uh, absolutely and I think you know in terms of the science of learning that is really gathering now and we're not saying science has all the answers and we have to be you know we have to take the science into the classroom but without fail anything that reduces ambiguity uh, ensures our communication is up absolutely faultless and clear anything that's about crystal clear clarity and and actually taking children to knowledge and information you know in the quickest way possible uh rather than stumble trip you know what i mean uh absolutely um we are going to be the best teachers we can be 
you know. Definitely. I, interesting talking about the pupil premium stuff with Mark Rowland again, and he talked about um, intervention and outervention. Mm-hmm. And actually, sometimes the pupils that need the most direct instruction are not necessarily getting it because they're out doing this or they're mm-hmm. being taken out yeah. uh, for that or they're being you know, supported by a teaching assistant more yeah. than a, a teacher. Yeah, they'd be, um, they'd be intervened with, but actually they need to be near near to strong, dynamic, whole class teaching. You know, we need we need we need them near the very, you know. And actually, um, it's like I I need I need my Mrs Gibb near me to make it make it have meaning for the children who are under her wing at that little sort of teaching and learning exchange. You know, yeah. It was deep yeah. that one, Jane. Sorry, I mean there are lies. You know, I'm doing a Mark Twain. There are lies, damn lies, and statistics, isn't there? But uh, <laughs> I think, um, I think the uh, the research is overwhelming now, and we can't avoid it anymore. About um, you know being direct and clear. So that's what I'm going to do: be direct and clear for the rest of my life. Uh, is that is that new? I feel like we should get a t-shirt. Jane is direct and clear. It's obvious. Stop. <laughs> well, we've got a great guest on today, haven't we, Jane? Yeah, we have. Yeah, um, I Mr. feel like. Well, I was just going to say, I feel like we've got a bit of a pattern emerging. Uh, if you're going to be a male guest on uh, on our podcast then you need to be called mr t <laughs> good line up mr t <laughs> bring him out another mr t did you prefer the last mr t or this mr t i don't know he ain't getting on no plane i don't know what mr t's have we having today exciting Well, we've got Mr. T here. We're delighted. He's an experienced primary school teacher. He's a history specialist. Thank goodness somebody is. He's a visiting lecturer and he provides CPD all over the country. And guess what, Heather? He is a member of the historical, if you can say it, Association's Primary Committee since 2018. Welcome, Mr. T. Uh, hello, it's uh, it's lovely to be here. Um, I think kind of co- the word specialist is always a risky uh, thing to add after something, but uh, hopefully we can stand up to that. Oh, you will, Mr. T. We're so excited. Um, actually, history is um, it's enormous, isn't it? There's so much content, there's so much stuff. And as a primary school teacher, you know, we've all trained in a subject and most of us uh, can do a couple of them well. And there's always a, some that we're less good at. Um, so I love a specialist. <laughs> yeah, I can, history, history, I'm pretty content with. I'm, I, I know my stuff on. If you ask me to teach an art lesson, it's a very different story. Oh, you uh, need episode you know, one. Uh, infinitely harder is uh, is that I'm not an artist. Well, we, we'd um, we'd like to warm you up with some some gentle questions, Mister T, if that's all right. So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go for one each. Um, so first of all, I'm gonna um, take you to a popular history program that many children will know. Um, horrible histories. And just just before I ask you the actual question, I'm just going to tell you of my experience of horrible history. So down here in Cornwall, if you haven't been, we have a very, very, very beautiful open air theatre called the Minac. Have you been? Has anyone been? You must go. Anyway, Horrible Histories Company toured there and my parents, my grand, my daughter's grandparents took her to watch Horrible Histories there. And she came back and she was like, yeah. It was great. They said boobica. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the historical content that she picked up. So on that note, are you a yay or a nay for horrible histories? Well, um, as with anything history related, it depends how you want to phrase the question. 
Am I happy that it's there as a motivational tool for children, as lots of them have developed a joy for the subject from it? Yes, absolutely thrilled to bits. Am I overly happy of its dominant role in the teaching curriculum as a source of evidence? Less so, as it, um, it is 100% accurate, as the uh, TV show often claims, but it gives, uh, it gives um, isolated snapshots and that rounded kind of mundanity of uh, everyday life is the bit that children often go, but that's not, that's not how I want it to be. So it kind of skews it, but you know, when we're thinking and teaching and talking about history, actually, you're always going to skew. But to me, it's just, you know, it's entertaining. But beyond that, I think it does have uses. It is well-researched. It just narratively presents it in a way that I quite like a rebalancing of. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. I feel yeah, like we really... do have a specialist on our hands, Jane. Yeah, yeah. I like it. I like it. <laughs> uh, so I feel a bit embarrassed now asking my question. <laughs> <laughs> Blame it on right. me. Blame it on me, Jane. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you're, if you're going to go to the Halloween disco and it, it is compulsory that you dress up, are you going to dress up as a historical character, Mr T? And who would it be? Um, um, am I? No. Uh, if I was forcibly made to do it. Yes. Uh, Sod off. Yes. If I'm, I'm forcibly made to do it, I think I might have just uh, uh, failed a COVID test or I may have, uh, <laughs> I may have uh, sadly got tonsillitis again. I ain't given all my excuses here, actually. That's a problem. Yeah. Um, if I was, you know, forcibly made for the good of humanity to go dressed up as someone, I think I'd go with someone like uh, someone niche. You know, someone, someone niche. Um, cause my favourite one that I used to do um, at university was that I was used to go as uh, uh, the innocent bystander in a superhero film to just wear normal clothes. Which I quite like. So, yeah, I think I'd go for an innocent bystander from, you know, the very recent past, which is absolutely a cop-out answer. And, you know, I'm pretty okay with it. Oh. we've got the measure of him I like you Mr T bitter and twisted you've obviously been a long time in primary education right well so. we better move on to some uh, more serious questions Jane um, actually Mr Reading Rocks my husband Andrew likes liked a bit of history and he um He's been discovering some great YouTube channels. That, and there was one and he said, oh, you might like this one because it had on uh, a children's author, uh, Izzy Lawrence. And she was comparing the historical accuracy um, of Pirates of the Caribbean with she's actually a historian as well. So I, I kind of looked up on her Twitter feed and I love what it said because I thought this made a great question because she says, "Make history is about making the dead come to life, not boring people to death. And I thought that was brilliant. So if we are non-specialists, then how can we bring the history curriculum to life? Apart from using horrible histories. That's fair. Um, you can use it in small doses as long as it's placed within you know, the wider realm. Um, first and foremost, uh, and one of my favourite uh, opening gambits when I do lecturing or kind of training sessions is history has the word story in it for a reason. And then the number of people you get like that, know, that nod of, oh, yeah, if I cover up those two letters, it's the word story. So whenever you think about, uh, think about planning or teaching or interacting with history as an adult, You've got to think about what narrative am I choosing to tell? Because there's two really important parts to consider. Number one is what am I choosing to tell, but also the opposite of, therefore, what am I choosing to miss out? Yeah. Now, as a profession, we're enthusiasm rich and time poor. So I'm never, ever going to blame somebody who, who goes, well, I didn't know about that, so I haven't put it in. So don't worry about it. Think about it for next time. Yeah. Um, you know, the key, the key message is what narrative am I crafting? Because once we start accepting and using this narrative arc idea, it allows us to think about, well, what's the role of a timeline? It's very similar to a story mountain. It allows you to think, why do I need to teach some contextual geography? Because your story needs a setting. And why do we emphasize people so much? Because characters, you know, we really hook on to characters. And if we uh, you know, tap into that very overused phrase from Daniel Willingham of stories being psychologically privileged, I think we've you know, laid a pretty solid foundation. 
Wow, so, that that's really powerful. Um, you know, Heather and I live and breathe stories. That's our uh, our day and night job. And to be honest, um, it, it's never been put to me like that before. And that makes a you know not just a lot of meaning on a personal level. I, I just deeply regret I never knew that when I probably have taught history very badly for many many years I mean it's just the bit I think a lot of things go wrong with subjects you don't understand when you don't have the the big idea of a subject nailed down because I think when we're busy we try to zoom in too quickly and what you've done there for me uh, Mr T is actually uh, putting a concrete very clear way what the the zoom out is and once you've got that right everything else can fall into place thank you no fun it's um it's why when in the national curriculum for key stage two it says um through a combination of overviews and depth studies and uh, the idea of an overview and a depth study are often misunderstood an overview is not really going to skirt through it it's developing a kind of broader sense of what was it like to be a person at this stage because that sets your background. If we're using the uh, more academic language that's uh, feeding through via the Ofsted framework and um, other publications, it's called the hinterland knowledge, you know, that background. And in history, that, that background is so key because it means that when you really dive into something in depth or zoom in as you uh, called it, it allows that to have a foundational basis. So if we yeah. don't have that basis, we can't actually kind of contextualize moments and we use our current understanding which is um, obviously the world today is very different to the world of 30 years ago never mind 300 or even 3000 yeah 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 and, and and linked into that of course um is you know when you talk about context um context is king isn't it really in many ways you know we can talk in a very vague way but what you're talking about there is you know context is so critical and that you know, and the knowledge we learn in that context, well, that links and interlinks to knowledge of other eras and other places. Mm. And, you know, that that context done well is um, vital. Oh, it's where your history lead has a huge responsibility, don't they, of, of kind of understanding that. And I, I think if, if I was given the job of history lead as a non-history specialist I would be um, quite overwhelmed and daunted and would definitely want a copy of uh, Mr Tito's primary history to help yeah. me out. <laughs> yeah absolutely I mean f- for me looking at it it was just so clear some of the things that you could uh, put in place to instantly improve your curriculum in terms of progression and continuity and and um decision making around uh the order of things uh most importantly um mr t i feel like i've probably done this in the past but um there are there are a lot of misconceptions when it comes to kind of history and history teaching and is there things here that uh you in terms of kind of busting myths you think um, people should be aware of uh, in terms of the teaching of history? Um, yes, but we don't have weeks. So I'll just cherry pick a couple of examples. It's probably why. <laughs> um, <laughs> when, when we're kind of teaching um, history, lots of schools at the moment have said um, we need to teach in chronological order, which is not true. Um, there's no evidence out there that says teaching in chronological order alone helps them understand it better but we've got to think about kind of logistical sequencing as well and for example I was working with a a school on last Thursday who have two classes so strangely enough they can't teach in chronological order so we were thinking about narratively how do we craft three different narratives that work independently but also in conjunction with one another when they'll uh, study them in different sequences um, number two is thinking about how we learn about the past. Um, there are currently, it does make me chuckle, the number of very large technical words out there that we could probably simplify down and not change the meaning, um, such as a uh, hinterland that I mentioned before. I think 
right now, the biggest kind of um, myth is the Ofsted model. Is this what Ofsted want to see? Now, I'm quite lucky that I've met uh, several inspectors, spoken to uh, Tim Jenner, who's the HI for History for Ofsted, and they're absolutely adamant. There's no singular way to do it, which means you can still teach a primary school topic model as long as it's carefully considered. That's my big myth that I'd quite like to crack because uh, people like Emma Turner, whose Simplicitous book series is beautiful. She talks about the fact that our children need to be taught differently because a primary child is different to a secondary child. They don't have the experience and knowledge of the world, which is why we do need to teach contextual background. And the fact that we do it through different subjects, it's not a problem. As long as we consider it and we don't go, I mean, in the book, I definitely I really enjoyed putting in the where I went wrong parts because I didn't want it to be blame anything. It was more, okay, this is what I used to do and this is why I've changed. So when we think back to some of those cross-curricular links, look back and go, mm, no, that was not a thing. Um, but actually that interconnected model is really powerful. And I think it's one that we should be a little bit more precious of as opposed to some uh, schools that have just you know, got rid of it and now it's all intersect all intersects at various points, but not as much as it possibly should. I think we lose time in the curriculum as well, don't we? we that making yeah. connections is just really powerful. That's how our brain files everything away, isn't it? What I liked in in the book, as well as I did like the where have gone wrong, because then with all the really useful practical advice, you still didn't feel like. Um, the idiot reading it <laughs> but I, it was um the fact that what you've written just makes sense of a lot of evidence it really you can really see um how much you know about the subject and your experience but then how that kind of merges into real practical advice and those samples at the back of well this is what it actually looks like because I think sometimes we as teachers can see those chunks of, of research and go, well, yeah, that makes sense. But how do I do it? What does that look like for me? You know, and we're kind of on that train, aren't we, of going just like you said earlier, Jane, about kind of zooming in. It's because we're just kind of going, OK, done that bit. What am I doing tomorrow? Done that bit. What? And you can't do a history curriculum thinking about one lesson at a time, can you? Um, yeah. Oh, that was really good. Uh, one bit that struck me was um, about the diverse curriculum. Um, and it's it's October now, which you, you mentioned about Black History Month, which, you know, it, it's great to mention it then and give it a boost. But if that's the only time to you, you talk about it, that ain't good enough. Uh, that's not right. Um, you talk, use words like meaningful curriculum for your school and there was something in there about when you were teaching um world war one and then you talked about the fact that india had been part of the empire um and that struck me uh because i've been interacting this week with another author hey um and 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 she talked about the 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 those indians that were part of the empire and wanted to you know uh, serve serve for the the country as well so Talk to us about that diverse curriculum. How do we, how do we do that? What does it look like? Um, I think it's it's the hot topic of the moment, and I look back and think about who I learned about and what I learned about when I was going through school. And I can't say it better than um, David Olasoga did in one of his BBC documentaries, where he was saying um, when he did uh, history at high school, he learned all about the cotton mills of Lancashire where he grew up because locality is important. But he never learned where the cotton came from, which has quite a profound impact when you think it was from the plantations of you know, the Americas. And when we think about diversity, it's not a binary yes or no. To me, it's about thinking about you know, the narratives we're choosing to tell. Is it honest? Is it fair? Is it representative? And although the, the kind of reframing the narratives towards that decolonization, as in away from European imperialism towards them abroad, including the voice of the oppressed. Although some traditionally minded people would look and go, you know, you're rewriting history, but I'm really sorry, but that's how history works. E.H. Um, e. Carr, who's a historian, 
And he wrote, what is history in 1961? And he, you know, every, every historian expects his work to be superseded. Welcome to history. Um, a couple of really revelatory ones that I found out of the past few years um, beyond that, uh, the uh, role of the Indian Army in the First World War. I think ba being based in Yorkshire, um, when I was thinking about the Romans, I'd taught about a, a Roman emperor called Septimius Severus, um, who ruled the whole Roman Empire from York around 208 AD, something like that. He was campaigning against the Caledonians. But then I looked up to try and find uh, kind of contemporary images of him, and he was black. And you know, when you think about that kind of model of how that unpicks a narrative, that's a black Roman emperor who was depicted in at the time as you know being having dark skin, ruling this whole empire from York, which is 40 minutes up the road. And it's just that moment of the ancient world was more interconnected than my brain had comprehended. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast called Ancients, which is by History Hits, and they did on the history of uh, Rome in London. And um, although what I'm about to say is contested, it's not agreed upon, as very rarely anything is in history, there were Chinese people in Roman London, according to analysis of uh, DNA from, uh, uh, from two skeletons in a graveyard that was found. So when we're thinking about the teaching of history, what we need to think about is, am I depicting it in a stereotypical way, because that's the resources I happen to have access to, or have I contemplated that it's broader and more varied than I may have thought about. Um, and that's something that it's an ongoing conversation that I always have when I think about and put things together. So when you, you know, there are some units we have to teach, but when we think about others where we've got choice, let's not settle for the ones we've always done, please. Let's broaden the children's horizons and think which is most powerful to them. You know, um, you can't be what you can't see. The power of the World War I example is one of my favorites because the power of that child looking going, that person looks like me. It's it, it's a game changer. And it's something that I can see continuing to gain traction and rightly so. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Not, you know, um, our curriculum should be, um, you know, like, like mirrors, like doorways, you know, helping children see uh, the links and joins across the whole world, you know, um, back in time. And in the here and now, uh, there's uh, so much to think about when we curate a curriculum. Uh, Mr. T, is there, I mean, I know you're up north, but is there anywhere um, in the UK that you would recommend, uh, you know, it might be a school that you've helped where you um, are inspired by their curriculum, uh, particularly their history curriculum? Is there... You know, any schools you want to shout out about or can people get in touch with you and kind of work under your consultancy wing to, um, you know, perhaps rebuild a curriculum or uh, titivate a curriculum for improvement, for diversity and um, actually narrative arc pathways? Um, yes, always happy for people to get in touch, uh, either through Twitter, the Facebook page or um, email, very happy, but I, I can't think of um, any like schools off the top of my head, but there's certain core features that I've encountered that I've gone, that's genius. Um, mm -hmm. And I'll tell you roughly where they were from, if I can remember. Um, but the first one, and this was a school in uh, Wigan, where mm -hmm. I looked at the model and they had four history topics a year, to which I thought, why four? And then she explained to me that we don't tell teachers how long it has to be because it's done when it's done. And one of those really common trends is that we arbitrarily say this topic must last for half term. Yeah. Whereas, you know, sometimes you look and go, but I can do it well in three weeks, but now I've got five weeks left because it's that horrible autumn eight week half term that we all dread. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, the other times you think, I just want a couple of extra weeks. Well, why not? The other thing is when we think about the history curriculum, and this is a phrase that's uh, been used by a few people, it's the, na the national curriculum is not a curriculum. The national curriculum is a broad set of frame. It's a broad framework from which we construct a curriculum. So a couple of key areas to look in. Purpose of study, to me, one of the most important phrases often missed, inspires pupil curiosity to know more about the past. I wrote that yeah. down, yeah. I wrote it's, that down from your book, yeah. It's, it's powerful. It's, you know, it's a, it's a requirement that we need to try, try and foster that. Now, 
not all history is inherently interesting to all people, fine. But actually, let's kind of drive, take them on, you know, into that history's on your doorstep because they may not realise it helps to explain the story of where we are. And then there was another school in Manchester who um, had a, a local curriculum, which is minimum of one week in every every uh, year group, usually went a bit longer. And it helps to give such a rich understanding of where the children grow up. And therefore, it helps them to appreciate why they should care about it. Because if we don't tell those little stories that are just relevant to this little area, they could so easily be lost, but then no less powerful, then no less important. Um, and when we think about kind of the nature of the months and the events that we commemorate or mark or celebrate, don't just tell the bad bits. Let's look for stories of inspiration, stories of joy, overcoming difficulty, all of those wonderful things. Like some of the, my favourite people, um, I love uh, an event called Lewis Latimer. He worked on the telephone and he worked on, oh, I think it was the incandescent bulb with Edison. And it, he's just a brilliant story. And then, you know, think about which areas aren't included in the curriculum. So I've done a bit of work with, I think it was a Bradford school, um, where they had a large migration over the last 15 years of Polish families. So when they teach the Second World War, they teach about the Polish pilots. They're because, wonderful. And it's just use this broad framework to allow your school to go, this is what we believe in. Because I'm sure most people listening have uh, written that ubiquitous intent implementation impact statements, even though nobody said we had to, but we all decided we should. <laughs> Most of the time in there, you just read and go, oh, okay, you've just spent 1,500 words telling me that you teach a national curriculum. Wonderful. I, I, I knew that already because I've seen the curriculum plan. But the thing that I always want schools to really reflect on and contemplate is what do you believe? What makes your school special? What makes it brilliant? What makes it right for your community? And when we think about the power of the curriculum, that's how we can do it. That's why the pupil premium money, you know, if you're spending that on giving them experiences they won't encounter, across the curriculum i just think it's such a powerful vehicle to kind of move on towards broader change well thank you mr t i think you have put right at the heart of your discussion there the power of real and relevant bringing to life history that inspires and motivates children to find out more about themselves and others um really stunning to talk to you thank you Thank you. And we definitely recommend your book and we will be sharing a link so people can find out about it in the show notes. I think um, all history leads should grab themselves a copy. Thank you, Mr. T. A pleasure. Thanks for having me. Love to meet you both. Yeah, me too. Thank you. Well, that was good, wasn't it, Jane? Yeah, really good. Really insightful. Love listening to Mr. T. Yeah. Um, and I do believe we have some copies of the book to give away. So how can people win it? Yeah. So um, if they can finish this sentence, um, my favourite history character is. Oh, nice one. So people can do that on social media. Get in touch with us. We'd love to hear. Um just has to be a favourite one, not the one you're going to go dressed up as to the uh, the school Halloween disco. <laughs> Would yeah, you like to hear touch. some winners from last week's book, um, yes. Ginny Senko book? Um, funny moment, though. Uh, uh, Ginny seemed to uh, enter the competition herself. Maybe she needs some extra copies. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. Uh, well, the sentence was being a Senko is like, so I feel like we should really give Ginny's answer. She put uh, being a Senko is like walking through treacle backwards on one leg. Oh, she okay, hun? <laughs> I feel like we need to get back in and give her a cuddle. Oh, brilliant. Um, then we've got some winners. Okay, so we're going to go for Instagram first. So Miss E loves to read, said being a Senko is like playing whack-a-mole. Oh, Never get those jobs done. So you have won a copy of Ginny's book. And our winner from Twitter is Dr. Jennifer A. Hawkins. Um, and mm. she says, I like this one. I think you like it, Jane. Um, being a Senko is like doing a balancing act on a high wire while juggling precious artifacts. 
Oh, precious like, artifacts. That's cute. Yeah, the precious oh. artifacts got me. I just thought, oh, yeah, they are. They are, aren't they? They're, they're precious. So uh, get in touch with us and there will be a copy of the book heading over to you. Now, before we do Wonder of Words, I just wanted to mention ever so quickly, uh, Get Britain Talking, uh, the Young Minds collaboration, because we've got the World Mental Health Day coming up on the 10th of October. And uh, they have um, assigned homework uh, to all the children around the country uh, about uh, talking. Uh, and the homework task is spoken or written and children have to consider what is on their minds. We know one in five children are unhappy with their mental health. And the NHS data said 18% of seven to 16 year olds uh, are suffering from a mental health disorder, which yeah. is when your mental health becomes so persistent or excessive uh, that it needs to be dealt with. Um, and 95% uh, of teachers are currently reporting uh, an increased sense of anxiety from the children in their classes. So, uh, you know, we as teachers, we know this, are the first port of call for children yeah. who feel anxious and worried. And um, I just wanted to make sure that we are all wearing yellow on the 10th of October and getting involved with um, helping children explore what is on their minds yeah good shout jay what's your wonder of words then well um this uh is i love this uh wonder of words it's from sf said's book um and you know i love tiger as you love tiger as we all love that book tiger but i'm just going to read actually from the book uh varjak poor and who is Varjak Poor? Well, he is a young cat. Uh, he's a Mesopotamian blue breed. And his grandfather, the elder cat, shows him the way. The way of uh, the martial arts, secret martial arts for cats. And um, mm -hmm. this, this excerpt, well, it's packed out with verbs and the verbs just kind of pull the action forward, propel it, and give it a spark and a drive and, in, and an intent. Uh, just have a listen to how packed out this is with verbs. Varjak exploded into motion, back legs uncoiled, front paws reached out of his grip, found it. Back legs pushed, pumped powered up and like the wind Varjak Paul flew up in the face of the wall up through the trees higher than the curtains higher than the house up beginning to tire muscles aching vision blurring how much further up grip after grip pour after pour slipping latched onto a ledge heaved and made it to the top of the wall I mean, packed with verbs, exploded, uncoiled, reached, pushed, pumped, powered, latched. I mean, it's great Love for it. teaching regular verbs, ending in ED, irregular verbs, loads. Heather, what's your wonder of words? Well, um, I think I want to show off because, well, I've, I'm, I'm going to be greedy as well and I'm going to be really quick so I'm allowed to be greedy because I'm going to do two. But do the it. first one is definitely a show off because at the Bath uh, Festival, I bumped into Joshua Siegel, who is a poet and who has written a book that went into our most recent Reading Rocks teacher subscription boxes. And he's written an amazing poem about libraries. And I thought I might read it, but then I thought, who better to hear the words from than the poet himself? Now, I'm just going to double check that this works because she says showing off, but it'd be embarrassing if it didn't work, wouldn't it? My name is Joshua Siegel and I'm a poet and this is a poem from my latest book. The book is called Who Let the Words Out and the poem is called Poem for Libraries. Come to a place full of wonder and light and sparkling stories to brighten your night of tales and fables of, and beautiful beams that flash in your mind and set fire to your dreams. Come to a place full of horror and dread 
of demons and dragons that howl in your head, of terrible tigers with blood-spattered claws and lives that are shattered by famines and wars. Come to a place full of dates, facts and figures and jokes that will have you in stitches and sniggers. A place you can stroll through the meadows of history, scaling the sides of the mountain of mystery. Come to a place that can sate your addiction to rollicking rhymes and to fabulous fiction. A place you can travel through time at your leisure, a library of pages to savour and treasure. Thank you. <laughs> How good's that? Out of the mouth of the actual poet. It's always the best when you hear it read, which is where I come to my very quick second one. And um, I think I mentioned on episode one that my daughter really loves uh, Katie Kirby's books, the Lottie Brooks series. And we went to see her and she was fabulous and um, she read a little extract and it, it kind of made me think of you Jane when we were talking about those mice um those yes. spring tales <laughs> last week and I thought thought this might amuse you because the beauty of words is they can inspire all emotions can't they uh, so so this is on a school trip and it's late in the night and the girls want to stay up 1 45 a.m got bored so we pooled our sanitary towel collection between us we had 74 spent a long time discussing what to do with them ella wanted to construct a 3d model of the eiffel tower amber <laughs> and molly wanted to make slippers and me i wanted to set fire to them in the end we decided the best and safest thing to do was stick them all to one of us and then send that person out to haunt the camp the added bonus was that hopefully it might help scare away the ding dong ditcher too uh, so yeah, then we move to uh, who Lottie gets gets chosen, and this is just after she's she's come back two twenty five a.m. OMG, that was hilarious. You should have heard the screaming. I was knocking on cabin windows, and then when people looked out, I pressed my face right up to the window and sort of growled at them. I felt like a superhero. Yes, okay, a superhero covered in sanitary towels, but a superhero nonetheless. Then I heard a twig crack behind me. Mr. Peters had come out to see what all the noise was. He shouted, hey, what's going on over there? And started walking over towards me. I didn't want to get caught as I knew I'd be in massive trouble. So I decided to run towards the woods so that I could hide. Unfortunately, the sanitary towels were obscuring my vision and I ran face first into the tree. Ouch. The good thing was the extra padding meant that it didn't knock myself out or injure myself too badly. I ducked behind the tree and waited as the time ticked slowly by. It was not lost on me how bonkers my predicament actually was. <laughs> Insert diagram. Oh my <laughs> goodness. Well, I tell you what, all the uses, all the uses of a Tampax. I tell you, we can start... I've started to collect them because it's autumnal and we might need them as, uh, you know, fire starters in the wood burner. <laughs> I feel like we're coming back to your whoosh moment and you not being, you know, evolving, eco-friendly with the times. We need, we need uh, the reusable stuff, Jane. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Moon cups. That's another episode. Um, thank you for today, <laughs> Heather. I've loved it. It's been great. What are you up to this week, Jane? Oh, I'm on my travels. I am going out and about to Sheffield, but I'll tell you what, I have got a new um a new place I'm going. I'm going to a new venue in Manchester on the 13th of October. If you go to janeconstein.com, you'll find me there training on the right stuff. And I'm saying new because I've also got a new resource coming out called the reading unit plans everyone can download their free sample of free samples how exciting yeah. oh no so everybody exciting. should head there yeah yeah and what what you got going down babe well, uh, this week, uh, not travelling so much, which is great. So doing a little bit of behind the scenes work on our pupil premium book service. 
So mm-hmm. if that's sparking interest anyone, you can go to wherereadingrocks.com to find out a bit more. And then I've got three virtual author events with some crackers this week. Um, so again, you can go to the website, get your classes to join in those amazing events, which we know just inspire and engage. So a good week ahead for both of us, I think. Yeah. And those uh, author events, are they happening in the school timetable day? With yeah, schools? so they're, yeah. they're either half past nine or half past one. They're all on our events calendar and you just, once you've got your subscription, use your credits, pick the ones that you want and then we just beam those authors right into your classroom. No coach to pay for, no mm-hmm. travel of the author to pay for. It's just right there, ready for you. Oh, amazing. Love that. Love that. So if our listeners were inspired by uh, Mr. T, um, they might want to go to his website, mightn't they, Jane? So it's MrTDoesHistory.com or go and find him on Twitter or X, as you want to say. Uh, his handle is at Mr. Underscore S underscore Tiffany. So, uh, yeah, go and see what good things he's doing. Shall we say goodbye, Jane? Yes, it's Heartburst. From Jane and Big Love. From Heather. See you next week. See you next week, everyone.